Schaff Podcasts. A warning, this podcast contains references to subjects and discussions that could be hard for some people to hear. Some episodes may also contain explicit language, so please take care. To be honest though, like it was a jungle anyway. Like you could go home with someone from a bar in the 90s and like God knows what that'd look like in the morning, you know. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball down. Come baby, cradling on. No, my heart and my, welcome to Tell Me About It, the podcast where we ask the perennial question, did dicks ever look good in pics? Can I just quickly answer that by saying categorically, no. (laughs) It is not a photogenic part of the body. Agreed. I'm Michelle Duff. I'm Kirsty Johnston. And I'm Noelle McCarthy. What are we talking about today, Kirsty? We're talking about online dating and the fun and exciting world of modern sex. Yeah, what are we having if not modern sex? I mean, <laughs> I know we're having heterosex, which is, as we know, only one kind of sex. Yeah, possibly the most boring kind. I mean, I am fairly certain that the sex I'm having is probably antique sex. As a 43-year-old married cis-het woman, the sex I'm having is practically Victorian, I imagine. I, yeah, I got my, with my husband like 15 years ago. So, you know, I'd be quite interested to know the type of sex that we're having, you know, that's different between then and now. Well, I'm pretty sure your now husband, but then date, didn't send you an unsolicited dick pic at 9am the morning after your first date, did he? Can I just say here, I love the word unsolicited. Like, how do you actually solicit a a dick pic? Like, what emoji (laughs) are you sending? (laughs) Dick pic at 9am, never mind the C word in the Dominion post. That's what'll have you choking on your cornies, <laughs> right? Like anecdotally, all of the women I know who use the apps, who use Tinder and Bumble or whatever, they all get dick pics and they're not asking for them. They're just getting them, like just a dick pic onto your phone, 7am. <laughs> it's just like amazing how it's just like how similar they are it's always like some the photos guy, yeah yeah the photos i'm not the dicks i don't like i personally don't, <laughs> don't they all look the same don't they don't they you sort of just line them all up and compare them in a row is that not normal behavior oh would you be able to pick it out of a line honestly there's always like some grotty bathroom or like some guy in a gym with like a balance ball behind him it is, isn't it? Because sometimes I get forwarded the pics, you know, just to just to, so the enjoyment can be shared. And it's always that, isn't it? I mean, do they actually go to the trouble of staging these things? Like there is a very particular aesthetic. So like, is it in a particular room? I don't know why I'm directing this question at you, Kirsty, but I think I am. <laughs> oh, no. A lot of work clearly goes into it. Or not. They're just like, you know, they're just like whip it out, take it back and bang it off. Isn't any guy with, I mean, I don't know. I haven't obviously like delved into this um, online dating sort of, what's it called? Like atmosphere. But isn't any guy with a gym pick uh, like a red flag, kind of like the guy in the profile pick holding the big fish or whatever? Kirsty? Okay, yes. I did a solid maybe two years of 
online dating um, maybe three years ago. It's actually how I met my husband. Um, but like everyone, I mean, like you join and you quit and you join and you quit again because it's like largely a horrendous experience. Although, you know, in my case, obviously worth persisting with. But yeah, at the time I had like an entire list of things that I would avoid. I reckon probably one of the worst ones is dudes who post workout photos or like, you know, with the lads. What, like with a protein shake afterwards? <laughs> Yeah, just like holding some isogenics or whatever. That's so hot. That is so hot. What else? I found lad photos like really upsetting. I was like, I don't want to see five pictures of you with a massive group of guys. Like that's not screaming, you know, boyfriend material. Um, Or like it's just anyone that's like blatantly misogynistic in the actual, you know, text of their profiles or says, oh, yeah, my worst one was like educated at like the school of life, whatever that is, or – like, if they say, oh, I'm not looking for any drama. What is the school of life? Is that in Tauranga? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Did your husband go there? Honest. I'm thinking maybe not. <laughs> he did not. There's this whole Tinder translators Insta as well. I don't know if you, um, you guys have seen that, where she talks about what men actually mean in their Tinder profile. Oh, I love like, it. Like a glossary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So no drama obviously means I don't want to take responsibility for the consequences of my shitty actions or being held re- accountable for them. Just put up with whatever bullshit I give you. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, like, you're getting messages from these guys who are getting like penis photos from them and like at this point you haven't even met them like let alone like gone into bed with them and have them like you know the next problematic thing which is they try and act out their porn fantasies and they ghost you or, or whatever else yeah so this Kirsty makes me think about grace Mullane, who the young woman on holiday in new zealand who was killed by a man who she met on tinder in auckland which is you know the worst case scenario really of online dating you went to the courtroom and did some reporting on that at the time. And wasn't that kind of at the time that you were doing quite a lot of online dating? Yeah, it was. Um, and I had so many conversations with friends, like usually kind of angry conversations at that time because I felt like some people were really blaming Grace, who was um, choked to death by a guy who turned out to be a serial abuser, for even going on a Tinder date in the first place. Um, and then, like, in the trial, the man who killed her argued that you know, she had been into BDSM, like bondage and submission and domination, and she was into it and she wanted it. And the implication was that she was somehow kind of complicit in her own death. Yeah. I feel like that was the moment where New Zealand had to reckon with this conversation that was already going on in other places in the world about this rough sex defence you know, which is where the defence in a, in a trial can argue in the case of sexual violence when it happens that the alleged rapist or rapist and murderer thought that the victim wanted it because it was in this context, this sort of catch-all context of rough sex. You know, we've literally seen trials in New Zealand where a woman has pleaded with a man to stop, cried, said no, vomited and had a panic attack but she didn't say a safe word, like an agreed safe word that they apparently had. So the defence argued that she wanted it and he was found not guilty of rape. And that's something that the BDSM community, Michelle, would have like a, a real problem with, I'm thinking. Oh, absolutely. Like At the time I wrote that story, I did t- talk to some people who, you know, engage in sort of consensual sexual choking or breath play you know, all of those things that uh, those who practice safe BDSM do. 
And they say that it just could, this could just never happen, you know, within the context. I think it was sort of popularized, you could say, or mainstreamed a little bit by Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, yeah, of course. And then porn. I mean, there's research going on into this at the moment, but, and, and no one's saying that this is not something that, that some people do and enjoy, but I, I suppose it becomes sort of problematic where, you know, in a court case, and in a sexual assault case where it's, it's sort of a convenient in for defence lawyers, you know, it used to be like, look what she's wearing, she's a slut, and now it's basically, you know, she literally asked for it. Mm. So I think the rough sex thing has gotten, like, totally out of control in this context. Like, it's an entirely different thing, like you said, Michelle, to be part of a BDSM community, which is guidelines and rules and everything that are there to keep people safe, to... People just, you know, watching porn um, and then feeling either like they're entitled to choke or hurt other people without asking them or women or, you know, anyone who are meeting people on dates or having casual sex feeling like they should have to have rough sex or want to that. Um, I mean, if they don't, then they're somehow like vanilla. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm pretty geriatric in this in, in this context and I can put my hand up and say that, but I think it's so messed up if that's the baseline expectation for a hookup. You know, that, that is so far away from where things were even like, I don't know, t- 10 years ago, eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking now at this. I did this uh, story with Nicola Gavey, who's basically like, the doyen of research into like gender research and research into sexual violence in New Zealand. And she's doing a study about rough sex at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and she said, the more I talked to people, the more women's experience came up of having sex with a man, a new partner and being slapped or choked. Some women were surprised while others said it was just normal. So wow. yeah, just back to what you were saying, Noelle, like there's obviously a range of experiences, eh? Hey? Yeah. I just, like, don't see the sex positivity in that. Like, you know, why just hashtag bring back missionary, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And also hashtag bless Nicola Gavey. I always think of her as, like, the patron saint of both of you and the patron saint (laughs) of feminism in this country. But listen, our guest today has been on the line for a few minutes now. She's been listening to us and we're delighted to have Tanya Damesh from Project Gender, who is doing some research into the stats behind the stories. She's running the Aotearoa online dating and sex survey at the moment and she's here on Tell Me About It. Welcome Tanya. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Now I know Kirsty's got something on her mind. What do you want to ask Kirsty? Oh yeah, hi Tanya. I just wanted to start like obviously with the most important question. Are the kids still having missionary sex or are we <laughs> completely out of town? Oh, I, I look, I think, yeah, I, I quite like um, what you were saying before, hashtag bring back the missionary. There's surely nothing wrong with a bit of good old missionary. Um, but no, I think um, that is increasingly being regarded as really kind of stayed boring, prudish, you know, quote unquote vanilla. So our survey doesn't actually go in and uh, interrogate, uh, you know, people for, for the kinds of positions that they're doing. Maybe we should have asked that. But uh, I think people are still doing it. But yeah, it's increasingly getting a bad rap. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you didn't ask that question. <laughs> So can you explain to us a little bit, Tanya, about what Project Gen- Gender is? Yeah, sure. And why you did the survey in the first place, why you wanted to do it? 
So, yeah, so Project Gender is a new social change agency uh, and we're working on projects to improve gender equity in Aotearoa. So uh, led by three women, uh, me uh, and Angela Meyer and Erin Jackson, uh, we're carrying out insights research that is feeding into social campaigns and the delivery of, of actual real world solutions all intended uh, to bring about change. And so we've kicked off with a couple of uh, projects. So, so one, for example, is looking at uh, the experiences of low-income single parents and what uh, they need from the system in order to thrive. Uh, but possibly, arguably, the more interesting slash salacious uh, project we've got on the go is, yes, the Aotearoa Online Dating and Sex Survey. Yeah, we're just looking at... We were interested in, in, in taking a really good look at dating apps as a kind of social phenomenon, really, that has, um, you know, been building since, uh, well, since Tinder was first invented 10 years ago and is really changing how uh, people, well, globally, but we're obviously just looking at people in Aotearoa, are meeting people who they may want to end up having sex with. And in terms of the inspiration Really, it came, I guess, from some of my own experiences uh, as a middle-aged lady who has been using the apps for the past uh, four years. Um, and I can tell you, initially, it was a total baptism of fire. I had I literally, the, the last time I'd been on a date was in the last century uh, when I bravely kind of totted into this bar uh, to meet this uh, this person that I'd um, you know, been chatting to on the app. But as well, is that, oh, you know, I have a 21-year-old twin daughters, so I have a lot of young people in my house all the time, and just listening to their stories as well about their experiences uh, using the apps and meeting people, and and I just felt, gosh, you know, it needs further exploration. Um, and as a social researcher, I'm just really interested in seeing how they're, they're, they're really changing behaviours in terms of, you know, what's polite and, and, and not polite. And then, of course, how it's changing behaviours around how we're actually having sex um, and, and what we end up doing and consenting to in the bedroom. What about the dick pics, Tanya? Oh, my goodness. There are so many. I have a gallery of them. Honestly, it was such... <laughs> of course you do. So you do You do have a lineup. You could pick them out of a lineup. Well, well, when I say gallery, I don't, you know, have a small room in my house with sort of, you know, spotlighting or anything. You don't have, you don't have them blown up on the <laughs> wall. <laughs> Some of them I'd need to blow up. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> that was so surprise. Yeah. So, you know, the first few times... I, you know, agreed to move on to WhatsApp or messaging. Yeah, like next minute, like literally next minute, there it, there it appeared on my phone. I'd be like, what the hell? So is that the protocol? As soon as you, I'm trying to figure it out, like why this is happening. Like that's the protocol. As soon as you move off the app onto a different platform, that might be the implicit signal or the tacit agreement <laughs> to get the dick pic. No, I don't know. I just it happened probably fifteen, fifteen. Sorry, I'm a researcher. Ten, fifteen percent of the time, I suppose it happened. And like your quantifier. Yeah, sorry. We have statistics on the well, sample of one, of course. Here, so you know, in the survey results so far, you know, you know, there are a lot of intimate photos being sent. But not just by men, by women as well, which I I find really interesting and actually quite a positive thing. You know, I think um, it sort of shatters 
uh, those gender stereotypes that it's just kind of men being wild and sending out, you know, these pictures that that, that women are actually, you know, doing this as well as, as perhaps part of their sexual identity or agency. Um, we ask why they send them and often it's to turn themselves on and to turn the other person on. Other times it's because um, they've um, been requested to send them, um, which is, of course, not quite as... Um, you know, I guess an expression of sexual independence. (laughs) But, you know, there's a story there as well, right? And I think if you shatter a gender stereotype in one area, it kind of, you know, disrupts other gender stereotypes potentially as well. Because you did talk to a lot of people from different communities, didn't you, like gender minorities and same-sex couples and that kind of thing. So, yeah, can you tell us some of what you found um, throughout different communities? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so far in our sample, we've been really delighted that only around 65% are heterosexuals. So um, we're getting some really, really good data on, um, you know, the experiences of gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual people and, and their use of the apps. And there are, there are some sort of, well, actually, I'll tell you one difference, which is actually quite fabulous. So looking at the question we ask people, so, you know, how do you rate out of 10 the enjoyment of the sex that you've been having, you know, essentially via the apps or as a result of meeting people through through the apps? And um, more, more than half of, of our sample of women, of straight women, give scores of eight and above um, for that. But it's gay and bisexual uh, women who are having the most fun. Funnily enough, men, um, all men, are having more fun than anyone else, um, kind of consistently rating sort of nine and above. So I think there's a lesson there. There's a bit of a mismatch between yeah. the enjoyment that straight men and straight women are having and and, and maybe there's some lessons to be had from, yeah, from, from gay and bisexual women who are having all the fun. <laughs> Yeah, what are they doing? We need to get them to tell us their secrets, to be honest. Well, I, yeah. I, Probably just listening to each other. I was about to say <laughs> listening, you know. Good I was phrase. also going to say, like, eight seems very high. Like, eight Does is, like, mean, a yeah. much higher score than I would have expected. As someone who's been on there. Well, look, you know, there's some incredible stories that we're hearing around how the dating apps have really um, been a wonderful thing for some women. So um, we've got, you know, one woman um, has has written in the survey that being on the apps has been a revelation for her. She says she's old, fat, has grey hair and I'm not pretty by society standards. And she says she's gained so much confidence and had loads of fun and the apps have given her back her sexual self and opened her up to so much pleasure and a broader sense of what sex is. So that's pretty fabulous really you know and perhaps yeah go her I know and I kind of wonder if because the apps have kind of already kind of I guess put you in the mind for sex if you know what I mean rather than you know just kind of glancing at Gavin from accounts you know across the office who, who may or may not ask you out on a day you know you're, you're kind of going to a bar you're, you're meeting someone and, and sex is is perhaps in the air um, because of that perhaps it's actually inspiring people to be a little more adventurous than they otherwise would and one thing that we've found um, which I think is fantastic is that over a third of all of our people responding this, the, to the survey have um, have had sex with someone who is not their 
usual type. In, in other words, their age or their body type is not their usual uh, sexual preference. And another third have also um, been more adventurous. They've tried new sexual acts and sexual techniques that they, they wouldn't they haven't previously tried all through you know these these meetings that they've had with people through the apps. So that's interesting, Tanya, about, you know, people having sex with someone outside their usual type, because some of the criticism that apps get is that, you know, they sort of um, allow for or encourage this idea of kind of having a partner to order, you know, deciding to be really specific about the age range or the the sort of. Um, the 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 race or the body type or whatever of sexual partners. So that's interesting. Yeah, I think that definitely does still happen, and I think you know, people will filter those 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 absolute um, you know deal breaker kind of aspects or features of somebody out before they meet them. So once you know you are actually face to face, it's kind of you know it's all on. <laughs> kind of thing to a, to a greater degree and certainly you know I you know have heard you know people are so particularly women are so stringent about height for example and <laughs> oh gosh were you yes. Kirsty did you specify no but you can see like heat like almost everyone I think right Tanya puts like most <laughs> men will put their height in their profile and lots of women will say in their profile like I only go for over this height or something like that. Yeah and a lot of men that I've dated have said that they've, they've kind of put their height on their profile reluctantly because it's always the first question and it's kind of depressing. Um, so yeah, that, it is really weird isn't it like I'm finding it increasingly disturbing that women would care so much about that. I know it's bizarre I mean mind you I'm five foot two and a half don't forget the half uh so I'm you know it's, it's really everyone's everyone's taller than me <laughs> so it's really not an issue I guess maybe if you're oh look gosh uh, to be honest I mean it is such a jungle out there in terms of the the kinds of profiles um well just oh they've been terrible saying this but honestly height is the least of your worries seriously like <laughs> find somebody who's you know basically gosh not an axe murderer would be um <laughs> to be honest though like it was a jungle anyway like you could go home with someone from a bar in the 90s and like god knows who that what that looked like in the morning you know i guess <laughs> i guess what i'm trying to establish here is like obviously dating apps have changed the way that we meet people right mm. but what have you found out i mean and i don't know if this is as a result of dating apps or if it's just happening, but I, I suppose you have an insight into this with your survey. How have you found or is there any indication that the sort of norms around heterosexual sex are changing and, you know, in what way might that be happening? So we do ask about the, the consensual sex that, that people are having and and what kinds of, I guess, acts have been occurring within that. Uh, so we ask about uh, hitting, spitting, biting, slapping, choking, those kinds of sexual acts. And we ask people if they have had it done to them or if uh, they have done it to somebody else, and if so, whether they consented. And kind of, I guess, 
proving um, my hunch, and I know um, the hunch of everybody, you know, that, that here today, there is seeming to be a greater normalisation of of choking um, and suffocating. So we ask about choking slash suffocating. So it's pretty clear that we're asking for a very deliberate act. And what we've found is that uh, one in five women have had it done to them, and of that. Uh, almost half never consented and on the flip side with straight men we've we've found that one in five have done it to women which kind of marries up with 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 our sample of women and most think that they've always gained consent so there's a real mismatch there Um, but what I would say is whilst almost half have never consented that means that uh, half have at least sometimes consented to choking and suffocating and that I think is incredibly interesting to to interrogate and uh, we then go on to ask how um, they've given consent and you know essentially asking you know what's happening here and uh, a woman one of our, our female respondents have said you know I asked them to stop on the first attempt they respected it but told me in return that a lot of girls are asking for it so they just assumed and And I think there is this increasing trend that women are actually wanting it, seemingly. And just to clarify, is this straight? Straight sex. Respondents. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. You know, this is different for queer respondents. Yeah, we've separated that out, yeah. So, yeah, and another woman said, I literally would say, choke me, or I would have a discussion about other kinks way before sex with him was even discussed. But then, yeah, another comment which I found really interesting, I think we greatly change the passion and spontaneity of sex if before every single thing you have to ask consent. If you're not liking something, say so. But... You know, one of the straight men in our sample, uh, when we asked them, please describe how you knew they had given their consent for this to happen, he wrote, usually a head nod or mmm when hand is around neck. So presumably the mmm is because they can't actually speak. So his hand is already around their neck. Exactly. So in my view, that's already too late to be asking, surely. So, you know, I think... It kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier, doesn't it? You know, like Michelle was talking about breath play and you know these practices within it used to be I mean this sounds like too cozy a word but you know the BDSM community you know like that people who you know incorporate these practices into sex kind of you know have have ways of doing it that's safe and that's um you know absolutely there's a lot of thought that goes into it I imagine and a lot of yeah, a lot of care. And now that it's getting more popular, if everybody's doing it or doing some version of it, you're getting like all sorts of different outcomes. Well, I feel like it's kind of the Wild West, really. You know, it's escaped, it seems to have escaped the BDSM community where there are excellent rules and and safety measures um, and everybody is, is kind of safe, kept safe. Whereas now, even if women are consenting, you know, before it happens, you know, there are concerns surely around how how safe it is physically for them. And then, of course, you know, at the other extreme, as, as, as you were discussing earlier, what that means when things go extremely wrong and how that can be used as a, as a defence for for rape or even murder. So it's it's a real concern, I think, and we need to learn more, really about what's going on. 
I think that thing you said, Tanya, about the consent, like the differing interpretations of consent is really interesting because, you know, like when you think about, I guess, sexual violence or whatever, you know, it's on that continuum from kind of bad sex to to rape and it, and it feels like still women are having all these conversations about it or have an understanding about it but then their sexual partners, if they're men, you know, might not be thinking about it so carefully or something. Well, what we really want to do with this survey research is have a really good look at how people are giving consent and how people are interpreting that consent has been given. So uh, we are collecting all of this, you know, open text or freeform data that we will analyse to see essentially what does consent look like? You know, is it, do you have to actually sit down um, at a table with a pen and paper (laughs) or is it something that, you know, can be given in the moment? And, And personally, I feel that consent can be taken away seconds before, you know, something happens, right? It's not something that that you have to kind of, I guess, um, sign a contract for and then adhere to that contract. It's it's changeable. Well, that's also what the law says. Exactly. Yeah, so, you, can cha- you, can, you can revoke consent at any point, even at the time of doing whatever you w- wanted to do. If you change your mind, then, you've taken, then you're not consenting anymore. That's it. But I don't think that message is necessarily getting through. And and there is this um, there's this increasing uh, expectation that this is part of of normal or straight or, or even vanilla sex, you know, and that a lot of men just well, and women just think that it's great and it's fine and it's and it's it's what everybody else is doing. And that's what I hear from you know from a lot of young people that I talk to. That so yeah, it just happens all the time. It's quite unusual to me. I feel like back in when I was um, dating or like younger, it was uh, anal sex was one. It was kind of that was kind of the heterosexual um, sexual practice that everyone was. Like I felt like there was a lot of pressure around that and kind of conversations around that. That must have been like the new frontier or something at that point. Who knows? There's always one, isn't there? I mean, Lily, I remember Lily, the consent educator, saying that to us, you know, that there's always a particular practice that has a has a sort of a, what do you call it, like a, a sheen to it, you know. It's, it's coveted in some way. Well, I think, you know, people like to be seen as being adventurous and a little bit wild and some people do anyway and I think you know when you're you're choosing to engage in in sex it's probably not seen to be cool to just say well actually I'm only interested in doing it you know missionary style and that's it you know so I think people do perhaps feel coerced or pressured into being perhaps more adventurous than they otherwise would because of internal pressures or or even peer pressure and that's for both like like men and women if you're talking about straight sex definitely you know there's that that pressure for sure yeah Tanya is it awkward like comparing your I don't know how open your chats are with your daughters (laughs) like they're dating and you're like oh and I was on a date the other night (laughs) yeah no I mean we are pretty open I mean they're older now so yeah and I mean they've been raised in it and incredibly feminist open household so there's uh generally been yeah no conversations um bad as they're growing up and I I just find it fascinating um when I'm I'm just hearing um what are they most concerned about do you think they seem to be pretty in control to be honest this particular group of young people anyway and and having good experiences I mean to be honest most of them are bisexual maybe that's it (laughs) 
going back to my earlier, you know, finding that, yeah, it's, it's, it's bisexual women who are having the most fun. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, given that, like, Kirsty met her husband on, on these apps, are people telling you anything about love? Oh, like, are yes. they managing to to have and not not that there's a hierarchy and that's great like if you're using it for sex that's awesome too but you know do people end up in long-term relationships oh no absolutely they do and the apps are you know delivering for many people what they're looking for you know we've got it's mostly women who are looking for for committed long-term relationships but so are men as well more men are happy to have uh, casual sex and hookups um, on their way to finding (laughs) long-term relationships compared to women which kind of fits that gender stereotype but no I think you know people are are finding what they're looking for and and I've certainly personally met some some wonderful men some of whom um, have remained friends and even I fell in love briefly um, <laughs> so it's it has the potential to 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 really be a wonderful thing for people um, in terms of of meeting the love of their life I think and in reality I don't think I think it's here to stay obviously you know it really is the main way I think a lot of people are are meeting others so yeah thank you Thanks so much, Tanya. And thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. That was amazing. It was great to talk. Thank you. And that was Tanya Demet from Project Gender talking about her survey into sex and dating in New Zealand, which I personally am quite excited to see the results of. It's like equally like encouraging and depressing. Yes, yes. That's the mix. That's what I thought too. I don't think it's the apps, is it? It's not the apps that are the problem. Like they have their own issues. But it's definitely like the kind of, like you were saying, Michelle, the sexual norms, I think, they are. Like, are they entwined? I don't really think so. Yeah, I don't know if they necessarily are. I think maybe they just give us a, a, a you know, this survey is like the one that Tani's doing, just sort of gives us a window that we wouldn't otherwise have. And, you know, other than just talking to our friends and that kind of thing. I just want to talk to all the bisexual women who are obviously having a great time. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that great? Like, the, what was that, nine? A score of nine? Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, you know, they've also found that lesbian and bisexual women have less PMS around the time of their periods because they understand each other, body, uh, each other's bodies better. I mean, I think it's really interesting that, uh, you know, when she said half of women had consented to being choked, and I agree that that would be interesting to interrogate. You know, I... I'd like to know how much of that really is the desire, where the desire to do that, to have that done is coming from. Mm, desire is a funny thing, isn't it? Where does it come from? Like, is it, is it in the air around us? You know, is it, because it was interesting what you were saying about anal sex, Michelle, that just felt so 90s when you said that. I just got an immediate flashback to that being the thing, you know. Do we think it's like kind of cool girl methodology? Like, I'm not like other girls. I'm the cool girl. I will send you naked photos, which like, good on you but the danger is that they share them right like I'll Mm. have anal sex because it's cool it's like Mm. how much of that is like actually your own sexual desires right and then how much of it is just wanting to be chosen by men you know and to be game and to be sort of better than other women I just have problems with the whole term vanilla you know it's it's kind of like I whatever <laughs> sex I'm having is the sex that I want to have and it doesn't have to be it can be raspberry 
Yeah, it can be. It can be. And what is even wrong with vanilla? Like, I like that flavour. It can be rum and raisin. (laughs) What's the one that there is only in New Zealand with a a goody gumdrop? It can be a goody gumdrop. All right, I'm getting silly I hate goody gumdrop. Everyone hates goody gumdrop. Is that lime? Actually, my husband likes that. No, it's bubblegum. Yeah, we're not here to harsh anyone's kinks, except if you like goody gumdrop. We're not into that. (laughs) Uh, We'll be back next week. We will see you then at Tell Me About It NZ is our Instagram if you want to follow us. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Matiwa. Kaki Jeff. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Tell Me About It is made for stuff by Bird of Paradise Productions. It was produced by me, Noelle McCarthy, and written by me, Kirsty Johnston, and Michelle Duff. Our script supervisor is Eugene Bingham and thanks to Janine Fenwick and Eugene for editorial oversight. Mixed by Mark Chesterman. And our theme tune is Queenie Queenie by Tammy Nielsen, our queen. You can like the podcast and leave a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me About It is made possible by funding from New Zealand On Air. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball.